Urban and my partner Scott Fontana are back with another installment of the Couchside Judges. Live sports are officially back. On Saturday night, MMA returned in a big way. UFC 249 was a card for the ages and provided some much needed entertainment during this tough time. We saw the violent rise of a new interim champion and another divisional kingpin claimed he's walking off into the sunset on a high note. Dan and I have some thoughts on those two title fights, but of course we are the Couchside Judges, so we're here to break down how the judges' scores fared this weekend in Jacksonville, Florida. The prelims were full of bouts that went the distance, and the main event lasted four full rounds before it was waved off. Were the cage line officials seeing the action clearly, or was cage rust real after nearly two months off the job? We'll share our thoughts later in the show. First things first, Dan. Let's talk about Justin Gaethje's brutally brilliant performance against Tony Ferguson to lock up a title shot against Khabib Nurmagomedov and take home the UFC interim lightweight title crown as well. I did pick him to be the one to spoil Khabib Tony, and I thought if he won it, it would be before the championship rounds. But this was somehow much more impressive to me as he ground up El Kukui's face and leg before Herb Dean had to stop it in the final round. Gaethje was about to win an easy decision anyway, and I thought that was a perfect stoppage from Herb. More importantly, though, Gaethje was just incredible. Pun intended. <laughs> yeah, Gaethje looked phenomenal. He fought an excellent fight. He wasn't his super overly aggressive self. He paced himself, and he was landing absolute bombs. And not only that, he was landing just almost every time he threw. His accuracy was at, what, I think it was 72% according to UFC stats. That's just that's just very efficient. It's it's unreal from someone you would think of who's just throwing bombs, you know? I mean, props to Ferguson for not being knocked out 20 times. Oh, my God. I, he, his chin's an alien artifact. Yeah, a lesser man's going down. Great fight. I mean, you never see Ferguson look like that. It's always his opponent that looks like that after the fight. I don't know what you necessarily attributed to. I mean, it could be the long camp that he was talking about. Maybe, maybe it was just a legendary performance that night. I don't know. Ferguson did cut weight twice in, in a month. I mean, I don't know how that much plays into it. Yeah, I don't put as much stake in that, though. I, You know, guys do that from time to time. It's not like, I mean, I'm not saying they just cut weight randomly, but sometimes they take fights in rapid succession. And, you know, Tony, he's not the smallest lightweight, but he's not the biggest either. And he, I'm sure he knows how to cut weight at this point. So I, I would think it had probably more to do with the camp and just the fact that not only that, I mean, he's, he's getting up there in age. He's 36. Yeah, maybe we're starting to see uh, see a little drop off now. It could be, and it's unfortunate because <sighs> let's pour one out for Khabib Tony. Just just pour it out. That one's officially dead. Gaethje put the nail in the coffin on that one. There's still ways they can make it work, you know, when you got Connor in the picture there and all these things. But, uh, yeah, I think emotionally I'm going to have to move on from that. But long live Khabib Gaethje. That's going to be fun. Yeah, that'll definitely be a fun fight. And what about the other title fight Saturday night? Cejudo obviously looked really awesome too. Yeah, Cejudo looked great. Cruz never really got anything going. He may have started to get some going in the second round, but then he got knocked out or he got TKO'd. Yeah, let's get into this uh, this stoppage here. It was it was one where you saw some protests from Cruz, obviously, very quickly. We see this from time to time from fighters all the time, and this was the first time we'd ever seen him stop due to strikes. But I thought it was a decent stoppage. What about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with the stoppage. I mean, I can see the argument from Cruz saying, okay, well, there was only two seconds or three seconds left in the round. I was getting up. But you were also eating unanswered shots. You know, it's the ref's jobs to protect you. And yeah, if you're not going to protect yourself, he's got to do something. Absolutely. I, I don't have a problem with it. I thought 
look, if, if you want to make the case that it could have gone a hair longer, fine. But his job is to keep the fighters safe. And I'd rather not see him take more of a beating. I know it's a title fight, but <laughs> and I know the round was about to end, but that's not a factor for the ref. The ref needs to stop it when he thinks that the guy isn't safe anymore. That's right. It. And then just because you tell the ref in the pre-fight meeting in the locker room to let it go, doesn't mean he's going to let it go. He has to do his job. Yeah, Keith Peterson doesn't work for Dominic Cruz. He works for the Florida State Boxing Commission in this case. We'll get to some comments that Cruz had about Mr. Peterson in just a moment. I want to talk really quickly about Cejudo because he was the man. He looked awesome. Yeah, Cejudo was great. Really went after the legs good. He was landing good leg kicks. I think with all that movement Cruz does, uh, Dillashaw made the blueprint. You know, you can hit his legs. Yeah, we just talked about that the other day, and, and, and we saw it manifest here. It was, it was very interesting to watch those fights back-to-back, personally. But then we saw Cejudo, after this big win, he called it quits, apparently. Man's done fighting. Made up his mm-hmm. mind. Unless unless uh, Dana gives him the number that he has in mind. Oh, for sure. Money talks. Which, yeah, yeah, for sure. I wouldn't be too surprised if this really is the end for Cejudo, just because... I don't think in his mind there's much more to prove. I think for me there's much more to prove because there's still a lot more fighters that he just hasn't fought. His career really isn't terribly long, but maybe he just wanted to get out before he took much abuse, and that's fine. I do think he's going to be back personally. I actually believe that we'll see him again in the cage. I think he's going to get the bug a little bit more, unless he goes out for the Olympic team like he was talking about. Maybe maybe that's the thing. That would be cool too, especially since uh, it got pushed back a year. Yeah, or maybe more. We'll see. I'm skeptical it'll even happen next summer. <laughs> but now to to get back to Cruz and his beef with Keith Peterson, we have to very quickly touch upon the fact that he. Well, you know, Dan, I'm going to let you take the floor here. What what is it exactly that he said about Peterson? So he basically said that guy smelled like alcohol and cigarettes. So who knows what he was doing? And I mean, bigger sports promotions have punished players for far less than that. So I'm expecting some kind of punishment to come down. I don't know if I'm necessarily expecting a punishment to come down, but I think in this case, Cruz crossed the line. You know, it's okay to be salty about the stoppage. I don't I don't have a problem if you don't like it. You can gripe about it all you want. But now we're starting to call Peterson's, his character into question. And I don't like that. This is, you know, a completely isolated thing. Unless we start hearing more people in the coming days, be like, you know, I've, I've noticed that there's a problem with Mr. Peterson uh, when when he refs or, or anything like that. That's, you know, that's a different story. But even at that, I don't like using your pulpit to bully him because Peterson really doesn't have an outlet to defend himself to the same degree as Dominic Cruz, who is a personality on TV for the UFC. It's just not, it's not, it's not fair. Which is why I think a fine has to be uh, levied. Yeah, I, I'm with you, you know. Normally, if you criticize a ref in MMA, you shouldn't have to be fine. But here, different story. He just he just went too far. That's it. You know, Dan, I love talking about these fights, but you know what I'm really excited about? I want to get into contested rounds. We haven't done this in almost two months, and now we get to break down the judging. Let's do it. Yeah, let's start with Gaethje against Ferguson, round two. That This was actually the only round on the judges' scorecards where there was disagreement. What happened in round two? What did what did you see anyway? Who do you think won that? I scored it for Gaethje. Every shot he threw was a fight ender. Everything was just super hard, and he landed throughout the entire round. 
Ferguson was landing, and I can understand the argument of the uppercut he landed at the end of the round could give him the round. It was a big shot, but I don't think it outweighed what Gaethje did throughout that round. Yeah, you know, I'm with you too. I also gave that one to to Gaethje. I don't think that that knockdown was the type of knockdown where you're like, oh, wow, he's in trouble. I think it's just, yeah, he caught him. You know, he definitely caught him, no question. But, I mean, Gaethje was catching in with a bunch of stuff all night. It just wasn't felling Ferguson. And when I say all night, I mean, in this case, round two, same story. Everything was landing for him. Both of them were landing. Ferguson was probably more active but missing. But at the same time, there's degrees to this, obviously. And much as Ferguson was landing well, he wasn't landing nearly as well as Gaethje. It was just making such a difference for me. Yeah, when it comes to striking, quality over quantity. Yes, absolutely. And even at that, the the quantity here was pretty even. I think Gaethje actually had a slight edge in that one. It's not egregious to go Ferguson here, though. I still wouldn't. Derek Cleary and Chris Lee, two of our fine judges who were manning this one, they both gave it to Ferguson, where Sal Amato saw it our way. And that's okay. I, I don't have a problem with it. It ultimately ended up not mattering because it didn't go the distance and Gaethje was up. But... I don't think it was that big a deal to go either way. Moving on from there, though, there was another round that I'm a little more heated about. Maybe heated is too extreme, but I'm a little more, I'm I'm a little less understanding of why the judges went this way. Fabricio Verdum against Alexei Olenek, round two. What did you have in that one? I scored it for Olenek. I thought even though Fabricio had early success, uh, Olenek came on really strong in the second half of that round and was landing the heavier shots, and that was his round. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, Verdun, really, for his part, he was winning almost, like, I would say the majority of the first four minutes was Verdun's story, but he wasn't doing anything over the top or convincing to kind of really secure this round. I thought it was still very much up for grabs. And then, yeah, Linux just landing super hard to the head, and, and Verdun was backing up, and covering up and you know he's, he's standing he's not really rocked here but you could tell he was getting clipped yeah what Verdun needed to do this round was stay on the ground he got the takedown straight into half guard ended up taking the back and he kind of falls off but he gives up no fight and kind of just accepts that oh, I lost the back let's just reset where I'm losing this fight in the striking game yeah not a lot of competitive fire in that exchange like he could have he could have kept that back he's a excellent jujitsu black belt <laughs> that's sort of mildly but yeah <laughs> i was disappointed in verdum in this fight on the whole but in this round in particular i did see it much closer the second time that i watched it than the first time and i do understand to a point Derek cleary going for verdum here but i still think it was a much stronger argument for olenic here to the point where it's you know Come on, you shouldn't have gone that way. This this should not have been a split decision. No, definitely not. I also, I, bl- I blame Verdum for almost the same thing in round three, where he was on his way to a 10-8. In my eyes, he was on top. He had Mao. He swept him. He had a, uh, a Kimura. And then he just kind of gets in a, himself in a scramble and accepts that, oh, it's going to end up back on the feet. So he only goes on to win a 10-9, where if he kept it on the ground, kept attacking subs, he's going to get a 10-8. Not the strongest return from his uh, suspension, that's for sure. Credit, though, I should say, in round two to Chris Lee and Barry Luxemburg, the judges for siding it this way and making sure that the rightful man won in Alexi Olenek. So those, those were, you know, they were close rounds, 
that we just talked about. But these fights that I want to talk about are razor close, and they have razor close rounds. Donald Cerrone against Anthony Pettis. What did you see? Yeah, this fight was crazy. I think going any guy in any round is absolutely viable. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you too. My scorecard was Cerrone for the first round, Pettis for two and three. Okay. No, I went Pettis one, Cerrone two, and Pettis again three. But I didn't agree with any of the judges as far as that particular score. But I see exactly what you see, where it could definitely have gone any round, any which way. If it was 30-27 Cerrone, fine. 30-27 Pettis, fine. If I watch this fight another five times, I might have five different scores. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it, for sure. Great fight, though. That was, that yeah, was a fun that one that to was watch. a fun fight. The one thing I wish I would like to point out was how unfortunate it was that in round three, Pettis got a uh, an eye poke into Cerrone that definitely changed the course of that round. Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, that one was missed by Keith Peterson here, who obviously didn't have the strongest night from Dominic Cruz's perspective. But I thought this was much more egregious than the stoppage in that fight. Another close fight was Vicente Luque against Nico Price. Now, this one was stopped with Vicente Luque getting the finish. But round one, really, really close round and really fun round. Yeah, this was this whole fight was so much fun. It was. It was a great one. I thought round one, I went with Luque. Okay. I went the other way. I felt the leg kicks in that round were what set it apart. I feel they landed, you know, pretty much even to the head. For me, Price just had Luke in that, you know, that bit of trouble uh, on the feet and kind of changed the course of the round where he threatened with the Darce. Luke was, you know, he was scoring throughout the round, of course. Uh, and he definitely caught Price around the bell. Uh, not to the point of being in too much danger, but he, he landed hard there. And I, I just gave it to Price there, but it's totally understandable to go your way. If he committed to the Darce, I'd probably see it your way. But he didn't really, he didn't give a full commitment to that sub. That's fair, but I, I thought it was still a good attack, good offense. And I, yeah, again, I have no problem with it going either way in that case, but I did go Price. The other fight, much less interesting than the first two we talked about. It was kind of a snoozer for about eight minutes before it actually turned into an actual fight. Carlos Barza getting the win over Michelle Waterson. All three rounds could have been 10-10s in our patented couchside judges scoring system that we use for past judgment but obviously that's not how it works here so you had to pick winners yeah i went 30 27 esparza okay yeah i did i did 29 28 esparza so i'm not too far off yeah like i thought round two she landed cleaner to the head i thought round one the takedown and the elbow at the end of it i guess gives her aggression i mean they neither person did anything in that round no, round one was, was a snoozer. That was really bad. And round three, I felt Esparza landed the better strikes, which was actually the most active round. Oh, yeah, that was that was an actual round. Yeah, for sure. Uh, first round, though, I should say, the first time I watched it, I did have it for Waterson. This is the only round that I rewatched uh, since Saturday night, and I said, okay, I actually want to change the way I would score it. Uh, so Esparza getting the round here, so it changed my winner. But, I mean, I don't. It's not that I don't care about this fight. It's a it was an important fight at women's strawweight, but it just wasn't interesting for a while. And you know, by the time it actually picked up, it just wasn't interesting enough to really grip me. Yeah, this was a rough fight. Now, a couple quick round ones that I want to talk about as well. Jorgen De Castro against Greg Hardy. I gave him the first round here. All three judges went Hardy, but after I rewatched it, I could see why it was close enough. Uh, you know, I thought Jorgen's damage to the leg was clear enough. But Hardy did start making an impact with his strikes. So when I watched it live, I scored it for DeCastro. I rewatched it today. I went Greg Hardy. 
basically because Hardy lands a big flurry towards the end of the round, like a minute 30, and DeCastro takes the rest of the round off. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I don't have too much to say about it other than the fact that I, I do still go the other way. I, I thought the fact that he really did make some damage present and and visible and impactful to Hardy's leg, I thought that was enough. But, you know, it really ultimately didn't make a difference anyway. Jorgen just stopped fighting midway through the fight when he got hurt. And then Ryan Spann and Sam Alvey, this was the first fight of the night on the prelims. I had that one going to Spann because he had a good standing arm triangle, which looked tight, you know, as far as standing arm triangles go. So that was good offense. He did lose the striking battle, but Chris Lee ended up giving this one to Alvey, and I disagree with that. Yeah, I definitely disagree with Chris Lee on this. I think this is probably the worst round of all the judges. Interesting, okay. Basically because Span almost put him to sleep. I think he made a technical error, which is the only reason Alvey got out. Otherwise, I think he was going to sleep. Mm. He was in there for a while. I'm not as heated about this one. I, I do see a minority argument for Alvey, but I'm not going that way. So I agreed with Salvi Amato and Dave Torelli here. So 10-8 watch time. Did you see any 10-8 rounds that were not rewarded as such? Uh, Bryce Mitchell versus Charles Rosa in round two. Yes, round two. Yeah, Troy Winkapaw and Barry Luxenberg only went 10-9. That, and that was weird because they gave round one and three 10-8, which were obviously 10-8s. I don't know what they saw in round two that was like, no, that's only a 10-9. The one round you can maybe argue a 10-9, I don't, is round three. Round two is a clear 10-8, and round one's a clear 10-8. And in my eyes, round three is a clear 10-8. Well, at least Derek Cleary saw it correctly. Good yeah, job. for sure. Good job for him. And the one thing I should say, I actually, when watching live, in Span Alvey gave round three a 10-8 for Alvey, which made it a draw on my scorecard. But I, I have backed off since then. I don't think that that was a true 10-8. That was a 10-9. Right call. Glad it didn't happen that way because Span deserved to win that fight. Yeah, I I thought maybe it would be a 10-8 live. I didn't go that way. I gave it 10-9. Uh, watching today, I uh, confirmed that Span really wasn't in that much of danger towards the end of the round, which would have been the tipping point. For sure. Now, I should also point out what the judges got right here. And they did get the only round that they had to score in the Jeremy Stevens versus Calvin Cater fight. It all went Stevens round one, just as it was supposed to be. Before Stevens got smashed. Yeah, they got that one right. They did. And I don't know what they what the judges gave for Cejudo against Cruz because that score was not distributed to media by the UFC as it usually is. But I'm going to give the judges the benefit of the doubt here and say they all saw it for Cejudo as is the way it should have been. Well, I don't know how you can not give it to Cejudo for round one. Exactly. Well, you know, Dominic Cruz, can he has that style, that elusive style. All right, that's all for contested rounds. But what about the finishes, Scott? What was your favorite? Oh, that's easy. Francis Ngannou putting the lights out on Yarzinho Rosenstrike in 20 seconds. That was scary looking. That left hook, I mean, when he comes at Rosenstrike with those punches in rapid succession, it, I mean, that's like one of the scariest things I can imagine is Francis Ngannou coming at you with his power. And then landing that hook, and it was just over. He, Ngannou's incredible. Yeah, like they were saying, the ref is literally saving that person's life when he jumps in. <laughs> More or less. You know, I figured he'd get an early KO here. I, I can't lie about that. But not that quick. Again, he just he keeps winning in two minutes or less. And this point didn't even go half a minute. I kind of want to see him versus DC next. That You know what? I'd rather see that than the DC Stipe trilogy conclusion. 
but I do think we do need closure in that trilogy. I actually want that. So what about you? Did you have a favorite finish from the night? I didn't have a favorite finish. I had a favorite performance. Okay, who was that? Bryce Mitchell's dominant jujitsu and grappling was something you hardly see anymore in this sport. I hope more of it comes back. It was just a masterpiece. How often do you see multiple twister attempts that almost get there oh, and in a fight? It vicious, just doesn't happen. Vicious elbows from that position. Oh, God, when you, yeah. When you can't go for the submission, just elbow the guy. That's a very innovative technique that we really just haven't seen at the UFC level. Oh, ridiculous. How many often do you see 30-24 scores either that are just like, yeah, that's the only score you should give? Yeah, and totally deserving. Well, let's move on to less ye be judged. I want to make sure that we touch upon how we would grade these judges from Saturday night. Dan, what did you think of them? Who do you, Did you think they have a good night overall? I thought they had a great night overall. Yeah, me too. There was nothing egregious, really. Our reservations about the local judges didn't come true. Absolutely. Bar- Shout out to them. Barry Luxemburg, Howard Reichbach, and Troy Winkapaw. They all, they all hung in there with the pros that we usually see. Derek Cleary, Dave Torelli, Chris Lee, and Sal Diamano. They, they, they all did a great job. And I, I want to call particular attention to Sal Diamato, who I gave an A. He was just phenomenal. He came back in a big way after having some rough nights before the pandemic hiatus. And he just asserted why he's one of the best judges in, that we have in the sport. Yeah, Sal's typically always great. Along with Chris yeah. Lee, he's usually really good. I gave everyone a B plus. I gave almost everyone a B other than Sal. I gave Barry Luxemburg a B plus actually, because I, I the only one I disagreed with was that ten nine score, and it wouldn't have affected the outcome of the fight anyway, because his score still had Rosa down by three points. He wasn't gonna get a ten seven around three, so it didn't matter. So I didn't go that harsh. And I gave Derek Cleary a B minus. But on the whole, everyone got in the B's except for Sal. Gets an A. Good job, Sal. You know, that's all I have to say about UFC two forty nine. Good show, successful show. Other than Jacare Souza uh, testing positive for coronavirus in the lead-up, which was unfortunate. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Moving on, I want to talk about Wednesday's fight night in Jacksonville. What's going on? Yeah, we got the main event, Anthony Smith versus Glover Teixeira in a light heavyweight showdown. Yeah, Lionheart back in action. I think this is a good test for him on his path back to the title shot. You know, He's been 4-1 now at light heavyweight, only losses to John Jones. It was you know competitive, but not... Not a uh, an actual challenge to the throne. But I'm interested to see if he can get back there because there's a lot of heat between these two now. He definitely would make that an interesting fight if he can get there. They're trash-talking each other left and right. And, you know, for Tashir's part, he's looking to make it four straight now and hopefully, from his part, get back to one last title shot. And this would be a big win for him if he can beat Smith. Oh, this would be a huge win for him. Smith's coming off a finish of Alexander Gustafson. Yeah, that was a big finish for him, too. These, these guys, it, it's a more interesting fight than I would have thought. Teixeira kind of was starting to get written off before, but he's back in the mix. Finally making light heavyweight a little bit more interesting. Is there a fight after the main event, though, that you're more looking forward to? Yeah, I'm looking forward to Alexander Hernandez versus Drew Dober. Okay. I just think it's going to be an exciting fight. All right, yeah, I, I can. I'm looking forward to that one, too. Dober always brings it. Hernandez is a solid prospect still. I, I'm interested to see where he goes. I don't care about the Cowboy Cerrone loss. That's not something that takes too much shine off him. He just bit off a little more than he can chew in that one. But for me, the fight I'm interested in is uh, Ricky Simone against Ray Borg at 135 pounds. 
that one's interesting to me in the sense that Simone, even though he's coming off of two straight losses, I think he's a good up-and-comer. Uh, and he comes to fight every time. He's coming off a fight of the night. Will Borg make weight? Borg will make weight at 135 pounds. He belongs here. He cannot make 125, but I think he's going to make it at 135 pounds. You think it's going to be another wrestle fest? I think if he wins, yeah. Uh, I think he'd be smart to, but, you know, he's a solid fighter. He's still young in the sport. He's young in general. I think he's only 26. Um, even though he had that past flyweight title shot, I think that was probably too soon for him as well. So, yeah, let's see what he can do. This is an, another, again, prospect. Not prospect, but up-and-comer versus up-and-comer. I like seeing those. On the whole, though, I should say this this card's not drastically appealing to me other than the fact that it's live sports. As far as the judging, we're still going to have the same judges that we had from Saturday, and I think that's great news. Yeah, they did a great job. You know, let them go again. Let them build off the momentum for sure. Uh, or better yet, hopefully there are more finishes this time. Yeah, that would be nice. That's about it for this episode of the Couchside Judges. With two events still to come this week, we'll hold off on a segment of past judgment until late next week. Instead, and Friday's show, we'll be talking judging from Wednesday's card and look ahead to Saturday's event, also in Jacksonville. Don't forget to subscribe to our show, and please give us a follow on Twitter at Couchside Judges, as well as myself at Dan Urban MMA. And follow me on Twitter too, at Scott underscore Fontana. Thanks for listening, everyone. Glad we're back to live fights. Stay healthy and safe. See ya. See ya.